0: Hello,
1: welcome to the N17 podcast and for those of you who've been listening for a long time, uh, you'll be aware of the allegations of Glenn being an Everton fan. Uh, you're joining us live right now where Glenn has one eye on Everton's relegation battle with Burnley. Glenn, can we have a little update? What's going
2: on? Um... Nothing. I'm I'm actually just watching the lead up to the Chelsea Real Madrid game. I don't know yeah, what the yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about. okay. Yeah, cap. That's that's cap. Cap. We just Big saw you down. go
1: crazy over over Richarlison penalty. I'm, I'm
2: pretty sure.
0: I'm pretty sure I saw one nut.
2: Like, like <laughs> what? <around. laughs> what? He, These allegations he just,
0: are. You dumping around so much. So
1: just, uh, <laughs> I allegation. mean, to be fair, that that is quite a good segue, um, Eddie. Uh, well. Not like that. But I mean I, I could have had I could have had my, my nuts out uh, for the for the uh palace arsenal game. Um first of all, I guess it is tradition. I do need to introduce you two and myself for any new listeners. Um I'm Cosmo and the voices you've heard are well, I say Glenn's name anyway. So we've got Glenn and Eddie with us tonight. Um but yeah, let's talk about that Palace Arsenal game, because for me um that's the only place to start we were going to record on Monday obviously every Spurs fan was buzzing with that result against Newcastle um but the fact is right now the race for the top four is it's probably one of the most exciting ones in in for a long time to be honest mm-hmm. and I kind of forgot how it felt because obviously we did used to have these head-to-heads with Arsenal back in the day when we were trying to reel them in when we had ABB um but I felt like they were never this close like I wasn't actually tuning into Arsenal games as well as Spurs games and like rooting for the opposition team, which is what I did on Monday for that, I said on the N17 podcast, uh, Twitter, historic meltdown. I I did not see that in my wildest dreams. I did not see that coming, especially with the uh, the pessimists among the pods repeatedly telling me that Arsenal were a fantastic team. So Eddie, that must have really shocked you.
0: I think I think it was a shock. Um I think it was a shock because of a couple of things. I I thought that over the season um at least the second half of the season um it seemed like Arsenal were were doing away with these kind of freak results and and like these mistakes that they seemed so privy to in previous seasons like in previous seasons games like a uh, game against Crystal Palace, a game against Aston Villa, stuff like that those are historic banana skins um, and the type of games that the Arsenal just did find difficult. And he's seen that they were winning even when they weren't playing well this season, which is like a hallmark of a side that, that does end up in there, there are thereabouts at the top half of the table. Um, and then secondly, um, when you had players like Eze, Odouard, uh, um, yeah, Elise, all out, um, you have players um, who have just come back from injury uh, going into that that Palace side. It didn't look like it was going to be one of those games um, where it did. Sorry, it did look like it was going to be one of those games where Arsenal would, were going to get a comfortable 2-0 victory. Um, and then, yeah, against all, I, I say against all odds. Um, but really, yeah, against all odds, Chris Palace managed to do a complete number them and it was a a great performance and one that I was very very happy to watch
1: I actually like low-key felt more nervous watching that game than I did watching Spurs uh I don't know why like it just I don't know I guess maybe because there was a sense of like powerlessness about it because it's not your team even though you can't really influence Spurs you still feel some degree of control over it but this was like so unfamiliar it's like a bunch of players I don't really know that well fans i don't know well and they play in red for god's sake i mean it couldn't be any different from like a spurs team but my god like i was so impressed with them um Vieira i like it. i saw a lot of people on twitter saying that he's going to want to like throw the game for arsenal cuz he's a deep down but oh my god what what a job he's doing cuz i just thought they were they were so impressive i mean even jeffrey Schlup he was playing as like a number 8 this is the amount yeah. of like injuries they had you had Schlup in a midfield three. Cheku Koyate, who, honestly, I didn't even know he played football anymore, to be honest, like, but that guy was amazing. Um, Tyreek Mitchell, he just looked like an incredible left back. I think if England were playing a back four, then I think he's he's got to be up there um, at, at, as left backs go. And, like, obviously, we're always on the lookout for people that could be wing backs in the Conte system. Um I don't think he's quite that type of player, but as a like all round defensive fullback, he was yeah, insane. No, like, no,
0: now, fullback. Like a fullback that actually their their first uh kind of instinct is to defend. Yeah. And position themselves to defend.
1: And but it wasn't just that because like obviously Wan Basaka had success in a Palace side like that. But I mean he, he was so technical as well. It kind of reminded mm-hmm. me a bit of Ben Davis in a way, but potentially even even better. And then as soon as you saw Zaha coming inside and asking for the ball and dribbling past people, you were like, okay, this could actually happen. Um, Glenn, one of the things I thought, which I took a lot from with Arsenal, is that I just thought that their defence and midfield and the, the linkage between that just looked absolutely awful, like they could not keep the ball.
2: Yeah, it feels like a. It almost feels like a massive turning point in Arsenal's season, because they lost Tierney um, just before the game. I think it was maybe a few days before the game, and they had to bring in um, Tavares, Tavares yeah. who 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 in his last game didn't even last forty five minutes. And they they've then found out this week that after after the game that Tierney's going to be out for the rest of the season. It feels a lot like that could really impact their season. They're playing a left back of Tavares and a right back of Cedric Suarez for the rest of the season.
1: Well, Tavares spells, got hooked again at half-time.
2: Yeah, it spells danger for them, to be honest, because they don't have another left back. They have a young player, I was a young fullback who apparently might come in and play, or Xhaka, who's going to play left back because they. They can't play Tavares again after hooking him twice in two games after 45 minutes or earlier. It it feels really precarious for them. And their midfield looked terrible. Odegaard looked awful. Smith-Rowe looked basic. Saka (laughs) got pocketed by... I think of the video when you say that. Yeah. Basic. (laughs) Got a
0: couple of steps. <laughs>
2: well, a couple of steps. <laughs> He's only got a couple of steps. S- Saka got pocketed by Mitchell, as you said. Who had a really good game, and it felt felt like they had no outlet. Their whole defence looked shaky as anything. Oh. I think they could really be struggling going forward, especially playing against better teams in Crystal Palace. They've got to play against United, Chelsea, and West Ham all in a row, and then they've got a game against Leeds, who could be still be fighting for relegation, and then they're playing us. Like Tierney, Tierney's not going to be back until next season. That they, they could really, really drop off now. I've, I've said this about Arsenal for quite a while now. Their first 11, 12, 13 players are good. Like They've got a good first 11, 12, 13 players. But as soon as you lose one of these players who doesn't have a very good backup, they are stinking. Like Tavares, Suar- uh, Cedric, I don't know how you say his last name. Who have they got as backup striker in Ketia? If Lacazette gets injured, their their squad looks horrible. They look like barely even a mid-table team.
1: Yeah, it, I think the last couple weeks have really been like, it's really been uh, something for the optimists uh, among the Spurs community because uh, I know at, like after the United game, I think we were kind of like resigned to the fact that, yeah, we played well, but I feel like we've left ourselves too much to do it's not going to happen um and then you have the optimists uh you got the likes of of aaron and to be fair uh my dad back in the day he would always say like just takes a couple games it just takes a couple games couple wins and you don't know what can happen and literally arsenal have lost to liverpool which is an incredibly hard game and they've slipped up against palace okay that's two bad results across a whole season it's not much and we're right back into right back in it and arguably we're in control of it I don't what do you guys think with regards to that are we gonna be as bold as to say it's in our hands now
0: I am so weary of commenting on a team that I don't watch week in week out because I think I think back to when we've had poor results even under Conte and then and we think to ourselves like that's it like we're, we're written off we just look forward to next season and then just like you said a couple games where we play well as opposed to playing badly suddenly we're right in it like there is nothing there. there is nothing like to absolutely confirm that after this game Arsenal are not going to bounce back in the next game and, and win comfortably and get a result <clears throat> pardon me now that the pressure is on because up until now it was firmly in their hands. Now they know they're in a fight. And so it we it remains to be seen what they're going to be like when the pressure is really on, when there is something tangibly to fight for. Um, and, you know, let, let's not forget, I, I think personally, I think United are out of this. We say that and they're, they're like three points behind Arsenal and and obviously they played the same amount of games as we have meaning that arsenal have a game in hand over them as well but um it's three points like and and we're saying that united are completely out of it that's not true because yeah. because i guarantee you we're going to drop points united are going to drop points and arsenal will also drop points in this lead up to the to to the uh, last game of the season and i think the the like the misconstruct here is that um, we're thinking, apart from the Liverpool game and then maybe one other game, we're going to win all the other games. And then Arsenal are going to lose to United, lose to Chelsea, potentially lose to West Ham or drop points to West Ham, drop points against us. But they're probably thinking the same thing about our fixtures. I know our fixtures are, are, are on paper, easier, but there are a couple banana skins. I uh, I I mean I think over the last few seasons, uh, over the last several seasons, we've we've always managed to beat team uh, teams like Leicester, um, and so I'm not worried about that. But I'm worried about a Brentford, who've who've played really well in the last three or four games. I'm certainly worried about a, a Villa, who do have something to to like, who do have quality in their team. It, it is just a case of. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I know the players are thinking of it as a as a game by game basis, and that's a game by game basis for like everyone fighting for top four. Because Chelsea might even be dragged into it, and then that's going to be an even bigger um, sc- scramble for those for those positions as well.
1: Yeah, I know. And like I, as I was saying that, as I was saying, like, oh, it's in our hands and all this stuff. And rare, rare, I just started thinking like, nah, we could actually lose to Villa on Sunday, like. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Um but I don't know whether that's just like my heart being scarred as a Spurs fan because look, this is this is me being trying to be logical about things. Conte in this position doesn't really tend to mess up. Let, let's just say that. I think we we have he's like one of the best managers in the world. Every time he's been in this sort of position, when he's really, when his team are fighting for something, when they have a clear objective, he doesn't really tend to mess it up. The only time I can think of it was in a was in a cup competition in the Europa League when they lost to Sevilla in the final. But that's a one off game, and I, I don't even think they lost that within ninety minutes. So I don't really think that can apply. And I think that's why, like, I have confidence that that we that we are going to do it. Um, and one of the things, uh, this is not in chronological order in regards to, to the running order I wrote, and we were going to talk about the West Ham game after. But one of the things I wanted to say was that, I don't know why, but after that West Ham game, I just really started believing in the team. And I was like, I can see what Conte's doing. It was almost like something, it was almost like a, I don't want to get all Pochettino and his lemons right now, but it was almost like an energy thing. After that West Ham game, I was like, this this team are good we're good like we can do stuff so um did you guys pick, pick up on that as well or
2: yeah definitely i th- i think there was there was a moment in the west ham game where you saw that we'd broken them like the the west ham players just honestly didn't look that like they were fighting for the win anymore or even the draw and this was at a point where west ham were well within the race for the top 4 when we played them People obviously they're now in like seventh, I think, and completely out of the top four race, and they've still got really difficult games to come. But at the time, West Ham were well within a shout of top four, and it looked like we just broke them. Like we, the the team broke them down. the The tactics, the the patterns of play, just completely broke their energy, and I, I saw it as well. And and the and our players started to sort of like almost. Believe in themselves and everything just sort of like flowed, and and I think you saw that in the Newcastle game as well because there was there was times in the first half where I was a little bit worried, especially at the start where Romero had to make two excellent blocks. Um, I was a bit worried, and then in the second half it, it was almost like the the energy had flowed through them again, and it was it was completely different.
1: Yeah, I, and wanted, I, I
2: really I really saw like a difference in like the believing in themselves almost.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys about <clears throat> the first half of the Newcastle game. Let's come on to it um, because I'd gotten back uh, from, I was in Seville and I'd gotten back on that day. I was so sleep deprived. It was like one of those early Ryanair flights. So I just, I went for what was supposed to be a nap and I woke up and it was like five minutes before the game was about to start. And I honestly, I could not get out of bed. So I just... I went to sleep for a bit and then I woke up again and I, I just wrote on the WhatsApp what the fuck is going on because I saw that we were one nil down. So like, how, how did you guys feel like when we were struggling to break them down, when we were losing? Obviously, we turned it around pretty quick, scored almost instantaneously. Eddie, was what three... was the, the thought process?
0: Yeah, it was three minutes where they were ahead. Um uh, But instantly you, you thought this is like, It was. I think it was. It was still nil nil about half an hour in, and I was just thinking, like Tottenham handshake low block equals disaster. Like this is something that has plagued us for many years. Like under Potch, under um, under uh, uh, Nuno, under Mourinho, briefly under uh, Mason. Low blocks seem to be kind of our Achilles' heel. Um, especially when we're a stronger side, we we don't have the wherewithal or the creativity to break down a low block. And I wouldn't say Newcastle are like parking the bus, but they have that organisation. Like, since Eddie Howe's come in, they've kept a few decent clean sheets. They've not conceded too many goals. In fact, I think this like since the turn of the year, they've probably conceded. Uh, like the least amount of one of the least amount of goals, like at least in the like top three or five teams that have conceded the least amount of goals since the turn of the year. And that that says something about their organisation. Um, and it just looked like one of those games where it's just like just frustrating because we know we had the quality to, to hurt them and we just weren't doing enough. And obviously, when you concede um, a goal like the one that we conceded, uh, it's just so frustrating. Um, because it's just like it feels like the sort of thing that happens like again and again uh, when Spurs are in the running for something important whether it be top four Champions League whatever what have you like one of those very very frustrating goals to concede but then obviously the quality just shined through and and instantly um, after like bemoaning Son's uh, uh, decision making he puts in an absolute beauty of a cross and then suddenly it's one-one, you know. Um, and like, I, I think we're saying on the, on the chat is like, we just need to moan more. Like, we just need uh, pause. But um, we just need to, <laughs> we just need to uh, like just moan the players more, and then they may be able to do something. And um, but yeah, like I said, like quality shines through, and when you have players that have that quality. And then are able to do something creative with that quality, then it is just going to shine through. Um, and I was like very happy to see that mentality, like not our heads not dropping after the goal was conceded. That's the biggest thing that I got from that quick equalizer is like our players straight away wanted to get uh, to level level their terms. Um, and that's a mentality thing more than anything, in, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And, and I saw, yeah. I noticed in the interview after that Conte said that. He was a fan of that and he was pleased in a way that we got to go behind because there's been a real shift in the way Conte speaks about the team now. I think like it's gone from, he had this kind of like distance between him and them. And especially after the Burnley game, when it seemed like he genuinely might quit like for a whole, I don't know, 12 hours, it seemed like he was going to go. Um But now he just, I think he is satisfied that he, that the players have his message now. Um, sorry, Glenn, you you were gonna say something. Cut you off there.
2: I was I was actually gonna say something scarily similar to what you you were saying. It, it it honestly feels like he's sort of this is his team now. He's like got his claws into it, and it's now like he feels like he owns the team himself now. Like it's it's a it's a Conte team, and he he it felt really weird to. For him to like almost not even he was talking about I think he spoke about city and Liverpool and Chelsea at one point, and he didn't even mention the the large gap between between us and them. It, it felt like he was almost set, like saying our team is able to match them in the same breath now and like almost challenge them and he and, and at one point he sort of batted off Arsenal and said ah oh, um th- this team needs to go needs to go away and win." like then they need to go away and win and and because we will be putting pressure on them we will be winning our games and we will um we will go into the north london derby with it in control basically uh, he he almost said it before before it happened it was so weird he he almost predicted that they were going to slip up very soon before the north london derby and we would have it in our hands which is strange because obviously it happened instantly yeah Yeah.
1: what do you Glenn what do you think is more emblematic of the team being a Conte team for you is it the the Doherty to Emerson assist, which is honestly like (laughs) witchcraft or is it the fact that now there's Bentancur and Kulisevsky in there which is kind of the players he wanted and they look like
2: they've played for Spurs for for years they're 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 in our top four players. Kuleszewski and Bentancourt are in our top four players and instant impact. It's like, oh, they might take a little while to. We, everyone says, oh, they might take a while to warm up to the Premier League. kulisevsky has got more goals and assists than Lascello has in his entire career at Spurs, I think now, which is ridiculous. Five
0: assists in the last five games, yeah,
2: yeah, and 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 Bentancourt looks like a transformational player. He he look he looks like Sergio Busquets when he has the ball. Like he he's honestly I, I said it before in the last podcast and I and his calmness is just bringing something completely different to midfield that Hoybier and Skip cannot bring and he's transformed almost transformed our midfield to make Hoybier a better player as well because he doesn't have to do the things that he would have had to do with Skip next to him and these two are just unbelievable players and they resemble a Conte player like to the T like physical when they need to be but technical and like gifted when they also need to be so they can do both sides of the game
0: I think you said it on on the on the Twitter um, account Cosmo about how um, like if Conte wanted to move forward from the beginning with the 3-4-3 that it only felt that the team became fully balanced when zevski slotted slotted into that right hand, right hand side of the three up front. Um, and he, like it goes to show that Conte definitely had an idea and a plan um, when he came to Spurs and he was willing to he was willing to forego potentially playing a, 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 um, a formation that fitted our players more to ensure that he did get the right player in that position that he wanted. Because if, for instance, we did go with a 3-5-2, which our team does really suit, and we did perform in that, then there wouldn't be any justification for getting Kulishevsky because he doesn't fit into a 3-5-2. And so I think you kind of pose this question and um, I was going to answer on Twitter, but I guess it's better to answer on the pod now. I do think that um, it's less of the fact that we were being pragmatic with our squad and more a fact of that this is his preferred style of play. And I think it compared to other leagues, which again, you pose in in, in the thread, I think the 3-4-3 suits the Premier League a lot more because of the the, um, the ability it gives you in the transition. Because in a 3-5-2, you only really have those two, two outlets. And let's say if one of them drops, you only really have one runner. And so your passing has to be pinpoint and your players have to have to re and, and those fullbacks have to push really high in order to be supportive to that front too. I think with the 3-4-3, you don't, you, you, there isn't a, you know, a constant pressure on the fullbacks to get um, as high because that we actually have wingers. And so even if Kane drops a bit deeper, you still have two runners that, that he can feed into which they, which our midfielders have, and Kane has done brilliantly. And that's when, when we've played our best is when both Kane and Kulisevsky are, are, are making are making those forward runs beyond. Uh, uh, sorry, both Son and Kulisevsky have been making those forward runs beyond Kane when he's dropped in. Um, so and Ben Tanquor, yeah, like Glenn said, um, I think what's so uh, enjoyable about seeing these two players come in is the balance because Klicerski balanced that front three and Bentancourt has balanced the midfield too because you just sense that Hojbjerg is a lot more comfortable playing alongside Bentancourt because I think Bentoncore's is not doing too much. Like with, with Winks, you, you get the sense that Winks is meant to be the progressor in that midfield. And with Skip, you, 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 you think Skip works tirelessly and Winsor does the simple things, but that's almost too similar to what Hoiberg does. And I think what Bentancur and Hoiberg have is a is a balance. I think they both work really hard, but they don't get in each other's way. Um, and I think it's clear to see that Bentancur has a much richer range of passing. And so Hoiberg can do the dirty stuff and know that his midfield partner is also willing to do that stuff, but has the passing range to to find the, the more creative players, the more attacking players. So um, it's, it's really exciting to see players that potentially might have not even been the first or second choice in those positions, but have the characteristics of a Conte-type uh, a, a Conte type player slot into the side so seamlessly. And it just makes me wonder, if we do get some of Conte's first-choice um, uh, players in the summer, like how much better we might look with those.
1: Yeah, I mean, I am starting to think that if we get Champions League this year and then we add properly, I think we are going to be like a force next year. Like, I don't know if it's going to be enough to win the league because I feel like City and Liverpool are monsters. But the fact that I'm even saying this compared to where we were with Nuno is just insane. And I think it shows that we're all starting to like really get on board with the vision now. And I think yeah, like, like like me and Glenn said earlier, like Conte is also, I think he's buying into Spurs more now. I think he's starting to feel at home. Um, Eddie, I just want to go back to the thing you mentioned about the 343 and the 352. Um, and I really liked the the point you made about the fact that just having the wingers there gives you more options and it does relate to something that you said a bit earlier as well about uh Tottenham against low block sides. Um because I was listening to the Athletics Tottenham pod, and one of the things that Charlie Eccleshire, who covers Tottenham a lot, was saying was that he doesn't think when it suddenly looks like teams like Newcastle and West Ham have all of a sudden given up being low blocks and start are, are trying to go toe-to-toe with Tottenham, he doesn't think that that's actually a conscious decision. Um, he thinks that it's because Spurs have found a way of like inviting teams onto them um, so that they lose that, that's that kind of low block organization. And I think that is only possible with the three, four, three, like you can't really do that with the three, five, two, because you just simply don't have enough personnel up there. And we've started to see that like really flourish in recent weeks, especially with like Harry Kane's passing. Um, and also it doesn't, yeah, doesn't work without Kulosevsky because Kulusevsky is someone you can just give him the ball and he's just not going to lose it like I love watching him I think he's such a skillful player Um, he's really good to watch but yeah um, another facet to that is the fact that Kane dropping deep is just becoming an even bigger weapon than it ever has been Um, and he saw Dan Byrne follow him a few times and I just thought what are you doing mate like you why, know, like why are you, yeah, today. why are you doing this? But I just think Conte's automi- automations have got to the point true. where you can't... Like, uh, other teams don't know what the hell to do. Like, Spurs are really just fluid now. Uh, Glenn, what did you make of Harry Kane's performance?
2: This is the thing. Like, I, I feel like Harry Kane is such an intelligent player to tailor the way he plays against certain teams to what they're doing against him. So he like, he'll, he'll drop in deep at moments in the first half and sort of like almost test the water. If someone follows him, we we can change the way we play and like have runners in behind him. Like if someone in the gaps that he, he, he leaves and if he, if he drops in and gets the ball and no one follows him, he's got all the time in the world and he, he can, he can just sort of dictate play It's, It's, he just he just looks unbelievable. I think I think he could be the most complete player in the world at the moment. I, I don't think I don't think there's another player out there that can do everything that Kane does. Even even someone like De Bruyne is almost in the same breath. But like Salah, who who I would say is the best player in the world at the moment, he's. He can't do the passing that Kane does. He can't do the creation that Kane does. Kane could be up there in a shout for best player in the world if he continues to go like this. Like Next year, I, I don't see any reason why Kane couldn't be in, a, in with a shout for the, like the Ballon d'Or. If he performs the way he has been in recent weeks and well, goes the two, to the World Cup and wins the uh, Golden yeah. Boot. If he yeah, goes to the a, World Cup and then wins the Golden Boot... Yeah, I think he has to be within a shout of winning the Ballon d'Or.
0: Like since the turn of the year, he's been incredible.
2: Like, yeah.
0: literally building on what you said. Like, he, we obviously we all all were aware of his slow start to this season. Like, it was a big it was a big part of Tottenham's slow start to the season. Um, uh, even though we won our first three games, uh, like Kane's very slow start to the season. Was such a topic of conversation. Should we have sold him? Should like, does he have a place in the side? Have we have like, have we made a massive mistake? Is is he going to fall off? Like, that was dominating our thoughts and and the, the discourse around Spurs. Um, but since the turn of the year, he's bit like he's almost found a new level. It feels weird to say that because we're talking about a Kane that's had like a fifty-plus goal year um, like a couple seasons ago. Uh, last season, he got the most goals and assists, and we're talking about him finding yet another level, which seems insane to think when we, when, when in previous seasons we're like he's hitting the peak of his career, um, and it just goes to show that a, absolutely, Glenn's absolutely right in the sense that he's an incredibly intelligent player, um, and that he can tailor his games, tailor his game to the way other teams play. I also think he's an incredibly intelligent player because he can tailor his games to whatever manager comes in, bar Nuno, because we didn't really have any kind of uh, attacking um, uh, attacking training or attacking ideas, Um, and that's probably the reason why Kane was so frustrated, such a frustrated figure in a Nuno side, under Mourinho, under even Mason, under obviously Poch, and now under Conte, we've seen different. Harry Kane's obviously doing similar things, but in a different way. Like under under Mourinho is in a front two, for instance, with with Son. Uh, under uh, under now is in a in a front three with with and Son, um, and then under Poch, it was as a as a striker. He was just a striker, and 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 Delhi was playing off him, and so we've seen like many iterations of Harry Kane. And they've all been different and they've all been excellent. And that just goes to show how intelligent he is of a player and how valuable he is to a manager. Because, like, Conte's been saying this again and again and again over the last few weeks about the players that he likes. He's like, yes, he's a good player, but at first he's a good man. Like, kind of sounds poetic, kind of sounds romantic. But what he, the, the idea I think he's trying to get across is that Kane's the type of player that will give you 100% in terms of his concentration and in terms of his like malleability in terms of being able like being open to be coached and also be open to adapt his game to the way the manager wants to play and that's invaluable to a side and to a manager and that this weekend's performance even though he didn't score was probably one of his best performances of the season um he was just sensational um and that is without us even talking about other players in the team, but he was just brilliant.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there's so many players playing well at the moment. And um, I think I'm, like, I definitely agree with you guys saying that I think he's got to be up there as the best player in the world right now. And I actually think like in terms of when people say, oh, he's the best passer, like after De Bruyne I think he I think he's better passer than De Bruyne right now. Like I, I, I respect De Bruyne. I think he's an amazing player, but like, what Kane's doing is just it's just nuts I just don't think anyone else is doing it and I do think you could put him in centre mid and he would still be amazing uh I genuinely do think that um but yeah Eddie what you were saying about like there's other players playing well right now and I do feel traditionally I am one of the people who I kind of sometimes take Kane's greatness a bit for granted to be honest um because like it sounds ridiculous to say, but after this game, I was purring over Matt Doherty. So, like, uh, but I just I do think that just shows that like there's so many players playing well. Um, you got Doherty, you got Romero, who I feel like that was more of a first half thing. I didn't really witness that as much, but I mean, how the hell did we sign him uh, when we had Nuno in charge?
0: We had essentially a free hit with with Romero. That's what it feels like. It feels like no one else was was tracking him. No one else was scouting him. I don't know how we've we managed to, to to get that done. Obviously, I think our main rivals for him were Barcelona, who were kind of in dire straits last summer. So it wasn't exactly like they could potentially pay the amount that we might end up paying. But, um, yeah, it just seems really insane that we had such a, a free run to, to get what's obviously up. Unbelievably talented defender at such a young age. Yeah, he's brilliant on the weekend as well.
1: I, th- I think, like, when I realized that he really was like top draws, I think it was against West Ham. He made this tackle from behind where he like nicked it, which is typical Romero. And I was like, for the first time, I had this feeling like, oh shit, like someone like Real Madrid's is going to come in for him because he is that good. Like, I think he is going to, if he does leave us, he'll end up leaving us for like 100 plus million as like a superstar signing, like a Galactico signing, like he's that good. And I feel like the rest of the league have not woken up to that yet. Like other people don't. All right. So we got cut off by the infamous Zoom, but um, yeah, I was saying that like, I feel like Romero does not really get applauded. It's outside of Spurs, but I kind of, I don't really care about that, to be honest, if anything, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I would have him behind Van Dijk. As the best centre back in the league right now, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think, um, I do think, actually, funnily enough, I think after the Newcastle game, for once, and I'm not like, obviously, this is not like universal, but I did see a lot of like respect coming from other like, opposition fans after the Newcastle game about like Harry Kane, about Romero, or, like. Saying that the, that they looked really good, I was like, "Yeah, finally, like, wake up." But also, like, I do think that, especially Romero. Although people keep on like putting in like Rüdiger and stuff, and it's just like really good can playing in a in a in a back too. So, like, relax. Like, he's 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 absolutely he's a car crash in a in a back four. Um, although we haven't really seen Romero playing it back for, like, properly either, so... But
1: saying Um, that, I mean, he did for a bit under Nuno, and I I still think he looked like a world-class player under Nuno.
0: Yeah, I think he does, like, I I think as long as he has a, a, like, someone who is also switched on and stable, and not, like, I don't want to heart, like, I don't want to shit on him, but, like, unlike a Sanchez who, like, he would have to, like, coach during the game. Like if he's next to a dyer who like doesn't need to be coached through the game doesn't need to be taught through the game, I think they'll they'll make a, a fine centre back pairing. Um, if we ever needed to switch to a back four, um, and I think his positioning is 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 good, even if it is a bit aggressive. He's definitely a front like like a foot like a front foot forward, uh, like defender. It works well in a back three because he can break with the ball, um. And that's why he looks really good, I think, because um, because he helps out. I honestly think he makes Emerson look better as well, because even if um, a winger gets past Emerson, like they rarely get past um, Romero, which makes uh, which saves Emerson's blushes quite a lot, um, especially against San Maxman, who didn't have a good game against Romero. He had a decent game against Emerson, but overall he had a bad game because he rarely got into our box. He rarely caused us any issues because... Romero was so aggressive on him, but like within the within like within the bounds of the game like in terms of he was up his ass every time um every time the ball came to feet or he would chase him into midfields like with confidence as well and and he would press him high up the pitch there was times where emerson uh, um no emerson Romero was tackling at Saint Maximan midway in in the newcastle half that's how aggressive he was uh, and he did the same against Antonio and I'm sure he'll do the same against many uh, wingers or strikers it's ju- it just suits his game being that kind of like being t- that touch tight to a player because he's very inte- like he picks his moments to of when to like pinch the ball when to stick a toe in when to absolutely smash through a player like there's that good balance and I think he still has that kind of fire, a bit of petulance, a bit of like that Eric Lamella about him. Um, but like, especially over the last few games, it seems that he's like done it correctly. Like he's wound up players and he's, and he's been aggressive, but he's not been stupid. Um, and that's only going to improve. Like the best defenders always have a bit of, we say the dark hearts, like they always have a bit of that, always have like, you know, a pinch in the box during a corner, a, 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 a like an absolute tank of a tackle in the first five minutes. Players, the best defenders need to have that. The reason why, I like, players like Ramos, for instance, who get, who's had, like, 20 red cards in his career, still heralded as such a great defender is because of that, because he's so good at, at playing within the realms of the game, even if he does sometimes overstep the mark.
1: Then your face was lighting up at the mention of dark arts. And pinching people, I noticed, actually. <clears throat> I do, only, I, um, I, do, I do, I
2: do love. I have loved the Dark Arts from early doors. I think I loved Dark Arts before it even had the name, the Dark Arts. <laughs>
0: loved the Dark um, Arts
2: before he I, I, loved football. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I have to agree. I do love the Dark Arts, and and he just feels like such like a a classy South American defender. Like he, he just, he just feels like an early early days uh, Thiago Silva. Like re- when he was a lot younger, he just really feels like. He could evolve to that sort of level, like one of the one of the best Premier League defenders of all time. He could really go that far if if he sort of learns like his trade and sort of. He does have things to improve on, but if In, he does, yeah. he he, could, he genuinely could be one 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 of one of the better. I think one of he best.
0: he has something that all our defenders need to improve on, which is just defending set pieces, like, and that's oh. so frustrating because. If, like, if that's what he needs to improve on in his game, he might never do that at Spurs because no, <laughs> none of our defenders seem to know how to do that. <laughs> they
1: never have. But it follows us exactly, from manager to say,
0: manager. Even, even when we've had brilliant defenders, for some reason, set pieces have always been our, our, our Horcrux, our Achilles Hill. Like, it, it, it baffles the mind. But I think if he improves that aspect, kind of like being commanding in the air, like... Making the right decisions when the when crosses are coming in from dead balls, I think like the rest of his game like only needs tweaks and improvements, and that comes with age and experience. Like, the more games you play, um, as with anything, but honestly, like like you said right at the beginning when we started talking about him and on the pod, it just feels like we we've, we've been absolutely blessed and so lucky to get essentially a free hit on on the um, you know the best defender of Serie A when we bought him and, and, you know, historically the Italian league has always been about defending. So yeah. for him to, to come out, be a top defender in Serie A when players like Ronaldo were 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 still, you know, doing numbers in, 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 that league, it says a lot. So um, yeah, I think he's, he's, he's a very good sign. And obviously we haven't paid the money yet. So like, when the money does eventually leave the bank account it's always like okay like he actually has to now step into those shoes become that marquee in. but I think he already is well in, on his way to to doing so and like at least he doesn't have the pressure of the price tag on him because he's already now seamlessly fit into the side.
1: So think that Juve technically like he was a Juve player when we signed him so they've let Romero, Bentancur, and Koleszewski go to us. Like, if we were to now sell them back to them, what? That's like two hundred and forty million pounds worth of footballers or something. Like, At it's least. crazy. <laughs> like, what? What? What are they doing with their squad management? It's just nuts to me. That's it's, what it's happens been... when you sign Ronaldo, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so dodgy, mate. Right? Like, they've got so many. They've got so many players on their last year of their contracts as well. Like. Quadado and 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 uh, obviously Paulo bala, uh, although I'm not going to allow myself to dream too much about that because I reckon half of uh, half of Europe and then Nan will be after
1: him. So, so would you want him at Spurs then?
0: I think you can't. It's one of those. It's one of those players. Like I don't think you can even balk at it. If if you have the opportunity to sign him, you sign him. He's so the quality that he possesses. And I really think he can play in a front three. Like he has played on on a left or right of a front three before and, and performed. And so you never and and I I I say this with like a pinch of salt, but like players like Son are getting on. Like Son is now 30. Um and you have to you, you do have to look in like into the future, not into the future, because no one can look into the future, but you have to look to the future for, like, how do we progress this team? How do we maintain this team? Like, okay, power Dibala isn't 21 or 22, but he's still, like, 26 or something like that. I think he's 28, um, actually, Eddie. Really?
1: Yeah, I think he's 28. I think he'll be 29 next season.
0: You're lying. I remember when he came on. No way.
1: Yeah, he's older I'm than at- you think. I mean, to be honest, like, Dybala's injury record scares me quite a lot. But, uh, oh,
0: yeah, he's 28. But Jeez, then, when you yeah, I,
1: when you look at his goals and assists they are good. Glenn what do you think?
2: I'm I'm hesitant. It, it it's it's obviously a free transfer but you've got these like weird agent fees and he's got like his name and rights that we'd need to buy as well. Um I feel like it's it's not a position that I want to be spending what he will want in wage or what his agent will want his wages to be on a free transfer. I don't think it's worth it now just for the fact that we have that front, that front three now of Kane, Son, Kulusevsky. I don't want any of them to be pushed into the wayside because we're signing the ball. Especially with Kulusevsky coming in and hitting the ground running, you can't, you can't, take out either Son or Kane so I just I don't like it at all it stinks of like a like an old Arsenal signing that they would have I was have made. gonna say that it
1: kind really, really, of reminds me of um them having the chance to sign a Bamiyang and just doing it even though they had Lacazette
2: yeah it, re- it really stinks of that and I, I just think it'd be terrible management and I actually weirdly really don't see Paratici going for it or Levy going for it even though it is sort of like An old Levy signing, like a a bargain buy of like a a world class player. Um, But then, how do you
0: solve the issue of uh, like depth, squad depth? Because like every team need like every team, every top team had like let's let's look at Liverpool for instance. They have their they initially had their front three of for uh, for for Firmino, Salah, Mane. They've since then signed Jota and Diaz and all five players still play. That's true. That is a good point. And all five players still perform at a great level when they play. Like uh, their potential question marks on Mane. I don't think he's been that good this season. And Firmino hasn't been brilliant, but everyone that's come in has played their part. And I think you need quality. Like again, with, with cities, like they had like, hundred thousand wingers at one point, but they all played and and they all all contributed to win the league. And I, you I need do that.
2: agree in, in in some respects to yes, we need a lot of depth, especially if we get Champions League football exactly. next year and the World we're Cup going, as well. We're going to need a lot of a lot of depth, but I think with Bergvine coming into his own this week, having the squad, I think it was what five goals in three games two internationally, and then obviously one on the weekend. Lucas is still in the background. He's still he's still a very, very good option coming off the bench. I think if you actually look in depth at Liverpool's front five, four, if if you want to call them, Salah and Mane both out of contract next year, so at least one of them's going. I don't think they'll pay the wages that Salah wants, which I don't think are unreasonable, but they do break their wage structure. You're looking at Firmino, obviously, again, he's he. I think he's also out of contract next year. So you say they brought in Diaz and Jota, but they look now more like replacements for Salah and Mane, who will be going at the end of the year if they do go for a snip because they've only got a year left on their contracts. They won't be going for £80 million and Liverpool can re-sign. I'd be back Liverpool to then sign more players, though. I think that they will do
0: that. I don't think that... Like I understand that it's like a teething situation where you have the players that are still at the team, and you also have the players that you want to replace. Those players, That's, I get that, but I also think that they like the, the the reason why Liverpool have performed the way that they have this season is because of the depth that they've had in their squad. Like they've I, managed I, to survive without Mane and Salah going off to the African Cup of Nations, which most teams wouldn't.
2: Yeah, I I, I do completely agree with that, but. If you're going to sign a player to replace Mane or Salah, you're looking at eighty million plus, and they and Liverpool just don't have the financial capability to do that. They don't, they don't because if if you let go of a Salah and a Mane for, let's say, forty million each, you can only sign one replacement really for 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 the quality that they have. You're looking at at least 80 million pounds. They've been quoted 150 million pounds for the Benfica striker. I can't remember his name. Darwin. Yeah, they've been quoted 150 million pounds for him. Liverpool don't make these big marquee signings unless they sell.
1: I I get what both of you are saying, because Glenn, I I do agree with you saying that... um, I do think Diaz was almost like a political sign-in. He was kind of like to Salah, like, look, we can just have this guy if you go. Um, and it was smart because signing him while you still have Salah and Mane at the club, it does reduce the price because you're not as desperate, basically. But then Eddie makes a good point as well by saying that, like, they are making it work. And I don't think anyone's thinking, oh, like, Jota and Diaz and Mane and Salah and who um, Firmino, they're, one of them is unhappy. I don't think anyone thinks any of them are unhappy. So, yeah. And then when you mentioned not so much Bergvine, but when you mentioned Lucas as well, like it kind of like illustrated the drop off on, in quality, I think, compared to those teams, especially with City as well. They do have so many players that can um,
2: uh,
1: slot in. So maybe we do have to change how we think a little bit and stop thinking that we have this established front three and kind of see it more as a squad game especially with five subs coming in next year, which is going to be a, a game changer in terms of how you build your squad. Because um, we've been heavily linked with Latorre Martinez as well. Um, that's not going to be cheap. And that, I mean, he plays up front, basically, and he plays in the front too. So I'm not sure how that is actually going to work. Um, but we'll see. I think it is an indication that we are maybe, maybe we are looking to go a bit more top heavy. Um, up front but yeah Glenn you briefly mentioned Bergvine I just want to give a little shout out to him because I feel like uh, I have been quite critical of him on this pod um but uh, the last few games he's come on I, I, genuinely I think he's such a talent now and like
0: Bergvine Hive where yeah, you at
1: I think I, I think I'm I've sent off my application for the Bergvine Hive put it that way but um he just looks he looks so good man like he he looks like, I think this season he's not going to play in many games because we're not in any Cups anymore. But next season, if we're in the Champions League, when we're back in Carabao and stuff like that, he, he's, going to play, he's going to be a crucial part. I think he's a special player. Like, I've actually really done a 360 on him. Like, I really rate him now. Especially that volley he took, which they didn't put on match of the day too, which I was kind of annoyed about. That was fire. That w- If he scored that, that would have been, like, one of the best goal- goals of the season yeah absolutely like it was crazy to dip it it was kind of like joe cole against sweden back in the day It just
0: dipped so so quickly it was yeah. it was fantastic uh like the technique um and that's what happens when you have like confidence i think funnily enough like going away internationally um has done like the like the inverse of what we always feel like is going to happen like we feel like players are going to go off internationally and either get themselves hurt or like going to be absolutely exhausted. But Bergfine played both games for the Netherlands and looks better better for it. Um, He said when he went off to the internationals that he was surprised that he even got picked considering he's not played too much football this season. But he just looks like a player that's fighting for a spot. I don't think he's looking like a player that's angling for a move. I don't know. Some people do feel like that. Um, but I feel like he's a player that's definitely trying to show that he has the qualities, like potentially different qualities, but he has the qualities to, to play more minutes under, under Conte, more minutes in the Spurs side. Um, I do think that he's kind of hamstrung in the sense that Conte really just does see him as a number nine. Like he's never going to come on on the wing. Like he just won't because um, whenever Bergvine's come on, we've gone to a back four or we're playing with a front two. Um, So I think he's kind of hamstrung in terms of that's going to cut his minutes straight away because that's not really the way we play. Um, But yeah, I mean, hopefully he does stay this summer and get more minutes because obviously Ajax are on the hunt. And if he moves to get more game time, I can only, you know, I can only say, you know, good luck, farewell because he deserves the game time. But I really do want him to kick on uh, at Spurs because yeah, I've been a fan since day one. Obviously, me and Jed have fought his corner even through the you know the worst of the times when he was looking like tubby, you know, a bit a bit thick, you know, like on 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 the playing that right wing back essentially. Um, and those were the those were the winter years for him. Like, hopefully, he never has to like go through that again because I think that really damaged his like, confidence. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to kick on um, as long as he stays. And yeah, I'm happy that he's getting a shout out because he deserves it, honestly.
1: Yeah. I think one more thing um, before we look ahead to Villa that I want to say is that uh, I just feel like I was thinking about this the other day. Like that January transfer window was so transformational, not just in bringing Ben and Kulosevsky in, but it was so brutal in the fact that we got rid of so Endomble, and Deli Ali. And no other manager would have been able to do that, I don't think, because Levy liked a lot. I think he liked, he definitely liked Deli Ali. I think Levy likes Deli Ali a lot. But then even with, like, you saw in that Spurs documentary when he sat down with Ben Dombele, I think he definitely believes there's a player in there. Los also as well was, like, a big investment. And Conte just said, no, they're all crap, get them out. And, like, one thing I want to say is that, like, when have you fought? When it has it ever entered you, your mind, oh, I wish I wish Lo Celso could come on right now. I wish Ndombele could come on like now, right now. I wish Deli Ali could come on right now. Like Conte got it so right on that, he got it so right. And then in addition to that, we're actually going to get a decent wedge for them. Um, not only in wages freed up, but Glenn, you're making a face. I, I know Ndombele is not going to go for 65 million, but. Look, say he goes for 25 and Los Celso goes for 25, 30. And then we're getting this, who knows how much money we're getting for Delhi? But that's 50 million on top of, I would say we're probably going to back Conte with between 80 and 100 million anyway. Then you're getting 50 million in player sales. Like, I feel like there's a lot of budget. I
2: don't, I don't, see, I don't see anyone buying Ndombele for 25 million just because of the wages he's on. I, don't, mm. I just, I just really don't see it. I think the only way he goes is like ridiculous, like on a, almost a Deli alley level, cheap deal, like a, a free with loads of options. No way. Glenn, genuinely, no, well, no. Le, Levy, Levy, Levy will never do that. Don't, don't get me wrong. Levy will never ever go for that. Yeah. Like, don't I, just, you. I, I don't see any team in the world. Like not one it, team Italy, in the world. Italy,
0: man. Like Italy. Like I reckon you could go Italy. Oh.
2: Who who has the money? Exactly,
0: I don't think you. I think if he wants to play, then he will agree to lower wages. If he wants to play, like I, I do think that. I think I think that this Leon, this Leon deal was like, honestly, just to get him off our like, get him out of the squad like because because we just we we didn't need it. Like, we we didn't need that kind of. I'm not saying that he's like a, a he's pulling our squad down, but like we just needed players who were all the way in.
1: Yeah, he wasn't and, focused,
0: and and he was just he was like he was treading water basically, and he would have taken away from from the cohesion of the squad. So we just had to get him out. Same with Delhi. Same with Lascello. Um, I think,
2: I think that takes away from the price of of, of what we get for him. We want him out think, that yeah, badly I don't, I don't that, think that nobody's going to pay twenty five million for him. Nobody will pay twenty five million for Donnelly as it stands. I promise you. I just don't see it. He's not even performing very well over in Lyon he had he had, he had, one, tw- he had 23, 23. one one game he had one game where he had a, a, a few a, a few twitter clips and that was it and couple, ever couple since the fallen out with him <laughs> ever since the manager's fallen out with him and he's been on the bench for a, a long time what does that say that's like the sixth manager in three years that's fallen out of Ndombele. like these teams are not going to spend like ugh, i just don't see anyone signing him and let's so like he's been proved to how, how like poor he is as well. But he's,
0: he's playing he's having, well tonight. Yeah, for instance,
2: B- Villarreal want him; they want him,
0: and 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 they and they want him, and and they, they will be looking to sign him in the summer. And it just takes it just takes like a few good games and 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 some consistent performances for for a player to for for someone to take a punt. Like obviously not for a lot a lot of money, but. A punt in, like, today's market is 20 million. It's 15, 20 million. That's a punt in today's market. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't think we're going to get more than 20 million for, for Ndombele. But I reckon we could get up to that. with Maybe not straight away, but at least a loan with an obligation to buy or something like that, or an option to to, to buy for, for that amount.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, my point is, is that, like... We're gonna give Conte a lot of money anyway, and then there could be more money on top of that. It's basically what I was saying. And like I think if we fix the wing backs, um obviously we need a be- better backup for Kane. And then we need a left centre back. Keeper. Well apparently Sam Johnson's Keeper. coming on in a in a
2: free. I wouldn't in mind on that. a free. I wouldn't mind that as a backup. Yeah. But this, this is the thing. I think if Conte stays, he gets a lot of money to sort of like splash or what or whatever. Like if it, if there might even be the other way around. If he's given a lot of money to splash, he stays. have like, to be
0: economic about
2: that. Yeah. Though. yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I, I think we give him a lot of money regardless of whether we sell or not. But I think I think we will want to get these players off our books regardless of how much money we get for them. Like I don't, I, I don't even think... want
1: to. Don't want to contemplate
2: Conte not staying now. That'll be Yeah, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even think the fees for Ndombele, Ali, Lo and the other players that he wants off the book, Emerson possibly, like Galini's obviously alone, so he's going back. There's like other players who are Lucas just completely... maybe could be sold. Yeah, I, I don't even think the fees for them are going to be anything to shout about at all. I think it's just going to be like, get them off the books. We move forward and we'll sign like a Conte.
0: I think if you think about those players that you just listed, a lot of them are on a decent amount of wages. Like Emerson's yeah. just come in, so he'll be on a decent amount of wages. Obviously, in Don La Celso, they were all on 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 quite high wages. And then if you think about wanting to get rid of Lucas, I'm sure he's on a, like a decent amount of wages as well. Uh, so we so it's it won't be a case of like building transfer funds as much as it a case of like restructuring the club so that we can figure out how much we can spend in terms of wages like restructure that potentially like restructure the way that people are currently being paid because i'm hearing like things about skip getting a new contract and so like we definitely have to look forward in terms of like okay what do we want the team to look like what do we not need in the team and so Getting rid of Lascelles, and Don potentially Emerson, potentially Lucas, uh, and uh, obviously Galini going back to 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 Italy. It's going to look more like we're gonna we're, we're we're getting into bed with with Conte, and I think we have to. We just have to commit to this vision because I think it's working. I think we can see that with with a team and with players that buy into to it. Like he he has that ability to transform a side. Like he really is transforming this Spurs side from where we were um, when when Nuno got sacked. It looks like a night and day in terms of the, the way that we play. And I think like I think again like in terms of segue and into the, the Villa game. I think if we if if we continue we continue to see this improvement going into Villa and we do put Villa away. And you can comfortably say that, like this, is the right direction that we're walking in, and so we have to continue on that path. Um, and that that will include sacrifices and also spend the money that that we need to spend in order to bring the players in that he wants. Because we did that in January, and it's transformed the side. And that's only two signings and just getting rid of players.
1: Yeah, how how are you feeling going into Villa? They've uh, lost the last three. Um, Glenn Gerald's kind of your boy, or was?
2: Um, he was a good. He's he's a good manager. I think he, he is. He is genuinely a, a talented manager, and I think he's proven that with both Rangers and his time at Villa so far. I don't think. I think if if we want to be getting Champions League football next year, if we want to be in the top four, is a game we must win. And I, and I think it's a game we, we want to win as well. i think sorry not obviously we'll want to win the game but I, th- I think if if we drop any points i think it's a massive disappointment. i think especially the form they're in they obviously had a new manager bounce when Gerard came in but I, d- I do think that it's just it's just our time to sort of like kick on after us like, like this weekend and I, and, I, and i think that we probably will i'm, I'm pretty confident. What did you think of a uh,
1: Basically, kind of like send him for them in his interview in a way.
0: <laughs> I Glenn, don't know because Glenn's about to have an aneurysm.
2: Yeah, them, them two are off in, in interviews. Them two are 100% <laughs> yeah. off interviews. I, I like I like the dark arts, but I, I don't like I don't like giving fuel to to the fire before a game. Like that, that's just going to fuel the Villa players. Like Gerrard will probably be showing them that clip all week. Like I want you to roast him. Like. I want, I want this guy on a stick. That's what he'd be saying to them.
1: Yeah, I thought that as soon as he said that, I was like,
2: "Why, why? Uh, you're just giving them fuel." It's, it's, it's such a like, and then you can see all the memes on Twitter afterwards, like the, um, the uh, moments that uh, preceded unfortunate oh, events. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's,
1: that's definitely it's already been clipped up.
2: It's like it's ready. Yeah, one
0: hundred percent. And I also think that. Um, with with that is that although they've lost their last three games, it's two one one nil two one. They haven't been blown away by the teams that they've played. They've also played Arsenal and Wolves. Who prior, obviously, Arsenal prior to Monday were in a good vein of form. Wolves are obviously doing really well um, since the turn of the turn of the year as well, and just well under under their new manager. I think the only real like bad result for for Villa was against I don't know. Watford, which is like six games ago, because I, mm. I think the other games that they've played, they beat Brighton 2 0, they beat Southampton 4 0, and they beat Leeds 3 0. Um, like, they're, they're not, they're, they're a side that have lost their last three games, but they're not a side that are completely in the dregs. Like, they're 11th. And so we do have to be switched on. We do have to get, we, we have to approach the game with, respect to Villa which is the reason why those comments were just like insane because like Villa have only lost three games they're not like in a run of like five games lost and they've like lost them all by three goals we just have to approach the game with a degree of respect and professionalism and we have to just get the job done um luckily for us doesn't seem like there's any like new injuries or anything like that um fingers crossed until Sunday it remains the same Obviously, skip is now out for that game, which is a frustration. But he hasn't been a fixture for the last like three months, so um, frustrating. But doesn't really change the the outlook for us. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic because I think we do have the quality to beat Villa, um, and we have done this season. So I think it's something that we that we should do. Uh, I'm always nervous for Spurs games. I'm never going to predict yeah. us to be any team, home or away, especially away. But yeah,
2: yeah, same, same. I pretty much feel the same way. I, I think, I think um, we played Villa under Conte um, early on this year. I think it, mm-hmm. it was one of the games that may have got rescheduled for COVID. Yeah, Did we I not. Think so. I swear
1: we played them under Nuno, and we. Sc- I'm sure we played them under Nuno. Possibly, B. A scored. Possibly. unless maybe we played them in the cup since then,
0: I think we played them more than once, but we beat them 2 1 in October. So that was under Nuno. Oh, it yeah, would
2: have been A. Scored yeah, under Nuno, yeah.
0: goal from Target. I think.
2: Oh, yeah. I remember now, I remember yeah, that but, game now. And they I mean,
0: both had baseball. different
1: managers back then, they didn't even have Gerard, yeah. So you can't, yeah. I
0: can't remember who's both them. I think it was that like Ollie Watkins or something, mm. but Things, I mean,
1: lately we have done quite well there. At Villa Park, I remember when Son broke his arm. Um, we won there. Even in the dregs of the Mourinho era, we still were. Uh, we still won
2: when we played the the chaos four four two. Uh, I don't remember uh, that game. I, <laughs> I think we've evolved massively as a team since we played them as well. Yeah. I think they have to some extent, but we have like obviously recently come on leaps and bounds. Um, and I think the style of footballs really showing through and i think i think we have Sessignon back this week as well which gives That's us good. an out and out left wing back yeah yeah i think that gives us an out and out left wing back which helps rather than having doherty and emerson I, the sound of Sessignon and doherty sounds a lot more um secure to me especially yeah. going forward yeah yeah
0: I, yeah i, I do I, I i don't think i really want to see doherty play left wing back uh again unless we can like if, like unless we can't avoid it. Like, although he played well on the weekend, it's clearly not something that he's comfortable doing, uh, like, as much as, like, his his preferred position, which is obviously right wing back. Like, he's only just found a bit of form in his preferred position. I don't want to start, like, pulling, pulling him out on the left wing back position, just, like, at any at, at any given opportunity, really. Um, I also just want Sessignon to, like, actually have a place in the side, like, because I, I don't know if I see a long term future for Reguilón, especially if Real Madrid want want him back. Like I'd be happy for him to go back if we were able to replace him, and so that would re- that would require either assessing to really nail down the starting position in the side, or us then having to essentially get two new left fullbacks. And I don't want to do that. Like this just gives us too much to do in the transfer window. So. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good that we have him coming back on the weekend, um, and we lose so much when you're on the break, and then the player has to cut into his stronger foot, especially as a fullback. You just sure. want them to, to, to be able to swing it in, uh, like swing it in, and 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 like do that on the run. And Doherty can't do that. Yeah, um, he did twist that twist their their defender inside out to to set up. A, Emerson but again that's just him trying to get back onto his right foot yeah,
1: yeah. I mean Sess was looking so good before he got injured which is why it's so frustrating but yeah it will be good to have him back I mean uh, yeah I wouldn't be opposed to selling on, buying a better left wing back and then having Sess and Young as like a rotation option personally um, but there is still potential with on, so we'll see but I'd, par- I'd personally quite like to upgrade both the, the wing backs to be honest um, I still think we can get better than what we currently have um, but yeah I think we're about to run out of time on the Zoom meeting so that's about all we have time for um, but yeah thank you for listening and uh, thank you for joining me boys
0: Also just one more thing Sue Benzema 3-1 Wait,
1: I didn't even know Chelsea got goal as well
2: yeah, yeah, Habert's got a goal before
0: half-time. Oh, nice, nice. ben, Benzi with the hat-trick at Stamford Bridge.
2: You know, oh, no. oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. Chelsea falling uh, apart. I'll just a little prediction for the weekend. <laughs> just give a little, my my own my own little prediction. 3-1 Spurs. It again, oh, here we again.
1: Again. I mean, I've oh, been, oh, been accurate lately. Yeah, I've been accurate. I've been very accurate. We uh, to
0: be fair, I might ask my dad because my dad was like, for the Arsenal game, he's like, Crystal Palace are either going to draw or get a win. They're not losing that game. I was like, you must be out of your mind. He's like, no, I actually think, you know what, draw unlikely. Palace
2: win. I, I even, I even said it. the score for Palace in the group chat. I even yeah, said the score. Can. So I'm free yeah, keeping going we're on. We're not going to talk about the promises though. Anyway, see you yeah. later, boys. <laughs> 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 All right. See you later.